Welcome to the Jessamine County Public Library's self-guided audio tour of Maple Grove Cemetery, which is located at 500 North Main Street in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Carrie Green. On this tour, you'll visit the graves of 31 former community members. Michael Cunningham and I will provide biographical information, while Les Lehman will explain the shapes and symbols of a little over 20 gravestones. We recommend bringing a tour map with you. To download a print copy or to view a Google map on your device, visit our website at jesspublib.org slash maple hyphen grove. We recommend pausing the recording as you walk between graves. Please observe the following guidelines. Allow yourself enough time to complete the tour before sundown. Do not take the tour when it's dark. Please watch your step. The ground is uneven and some of the headstones are flush with the earth. Do not lean on the headstones. Please be respectful. The people who are buried here have living relatives who visit their graves. We will begin the tour at the Main Street entrance parking lot. The History of Maple Grove Cemetery. Maple Grove Cemetery was founded on May 16th 1849, when William and Nancy Duncan sold one and a half acres to the city of Nicholasville for $157.50. This first plot was located on what was then called Union Mill Road, but is now known as Richmond Avenue. The cemetery grew in 1865, when Robert Duncan sold six acres to the city for $1,162. It has since grown to 22 acres. In 1849, Thomas Jefferson Brown was the first person to be buried in Maple Grove. We'll stop by Brown's grave on our tour. According to Bennett H. Young's A History of Jessamine County from its earliest settlement to 1898, Brown was also the first person to point out the need of a public cemetery. However, there are about 30 tombstones that predate 1849, with two dating as far back as 1811. In his book, Maple Grove Cemetery Records, Nicholasville, Kentucky, Howard Curry Teeter suggests that these tombstones were moved from private family cemeteries. As you walk through any cemetery, you'll find a wide variety of styles of gravestones, from the most basic rectangular markers to elaborately carved statues, obelisks, and archways. Although much of this iconography is easily interpreted, not all the meanings carried by gravestone designs are as straightforward as they may seem. A lot of scholarly research has gone into the analysis of grave symbology and the work of individual carvers and stonemasons from different periods. 
There is even an association of gravestone studies founded specifically for furthering the study and preservation of gravestones. For a list of the sources we use to research grave symbolism, visit our website at jesspublib.org slash maple hyphen grove. Number one, as you face the cemetery, cross the parking lot and walk approximately 15 yards toward Bell Court, the road to your right, until you see the grave of Joseph Morgan Luttrell Sr. and Nancy M. Phillips Luttrell. The first grave on our tour is that of Joseph Morgan Luttrell Sr., who lived from July 23, 1933, to October 12, 2002. The Roman column symbolizes a noble life. A complete column indicates that the person's life was not cut short. A complete column with an archway, such as found on Joseph Morgan Luttrell's grave, symbolizes a full life and the entrance to heaven. Number two. Continue in this section of the cemetery, walking slightly to your left about 50 yards until you see a headstone with three names on it, Mary, Geneva, and Herschel Eisen. Nearby, the Bryant's graves, Etta, Willard, and Jesse, are marked with three flat headstones. Hickman Creek Flood Victims Mary Eisen, July 31, 1908 to August 2, 1932 Geneva Eisen, April 24, 1927 to August 2, 1932 Herschel Eisen, June 24, 1929 to August 2, 1932 Edemy Bryant, 1894 to August 2, 1932 Willard Bryant, 1922 to August 2nd, 1932, and Jesse Bryant, 1923 to August 2nd, 1932. On August 2nd, 1932, seven and a half inches of rain fell in six hours, the heaviest rain recorded to that date, causing the streets of Nicholasville to be submerged under three feet of water. Twelve bridges in the area were taken out by the flooding, which was compounded by Fayette County opening the reservoir's floodgates on Richmond Road and gorging Hitman Creek. Edemy Bryant, age 38, and her two sons, Jesse, age 9, and Willard, age 10, and Mary Eisen, age 23, and her two children, Geneva, age 5, and Herschel, age 2, were killed in the flood. Their bodies were later recovered, some as far away as three miles from their homes. The survivors included Mary's husband, George, and their son, George Jr., and Edda's oldest child, Thelma Bledsoe, and nephew, Orville Bledsoe. Thelma attempted to hold on to Herschel while hanging onto a tree but was unable to save him. The surviving victims of the flood lost everything. Losses for the area were reported to be in the thousands of dollars. Funds were raised to help cover the funeral costs for the, for the victims. Number three, continue straight up the same row for about 45 yards until you see N.D. Davis's headstone. It's a large stone carved with lilies.
Newton D. Davis lived from August 6, 1850 to September 30, 1909. The beautifully carved but somewhat generic lilies on the grave of Newton Davis could be representative of several things, including majesty, purity, the Mother Mary, the resurrection, and the restoration of the innocence of the soul at death. Number four, walk back to the drive and continue until just before the drive splits. Linda C. Dickerson's grave is on the right. It's ornately carved with many flowers. Next, we'll stop at the grave of Linda C. Dickerson, who lived from August 24, 1840 through April 1, 1888. Specific types of lilies can have additional meanings. For instance, the calla lily represents marriage, and the lily of the valley represents humility and the return of happiness. You can see both calla lilies and lilies of the valley on Linda Dickerson's grave. Ferns, also part of the ornate floral design on her stone, represent sincerity and sorrow. Number five, continue along Cemetery Drive about seven yards. You should see a sign marking section B. The tall, cross-shaped monument located where the drive begins to curve to the right marks Lena Madison Phillips's grave. Lena Madison Phillips, 1881, to 1955. Lena Madison Phillips was born in Nicholasville in 1881 to Judge William Henry Phillips and Alice Shook. You can still see her birthplace. It's the big white house on South Main Street with the historical marker in front. At the age of 11, she changed her name from Anna Lena to Lena Madison because she hated the name Anna. She chose Madison from the French word for medicine to honor an older brother who was studying medicine. From then on, her friends and associates called her Madison. Phillips graduated from the Jessamine Female Institute in 1899 and studied at the Women's College of Baltimore, which is now known as Goucher College. She left the Women's College for the Peabody Conservatory of Music because she wanted to become a concert pianist. However, an injury to her arm forced her to drop out of music school and return home to Nicholasville. Phillips's father arranged for her to work at Lowry's Grocery Store, a scandalous idea, according to Phillips, who said that at the time, quote, even the poorest girls did not clerk in a grocery store, unquote. She went on to work a series of jobs in Nicholasville, including as a book salesperson and music teacher, before opening the Academy of Music with her friend and former student, Hester Lowry. In 1915, Phillips enrolled in the University of Kentucky Law School, graduating in June 1917. She was the first woman to graduate from the UK Law School with honors. 
Phillips opened a law practice in Nicholasville, but she soon became involved with the YWCA's War Work Council. She moved to New York City as a staff secretary hired to organize business and professional women around the country. That position led to the formation, in 1919, of the National Federation of Business and Professional Women's Clubs. Phillips served the organization in various administrative positions until becoming the president of the International Federation of Business and Professional Women in 1930. Both the National and International Federation of Business and Professional Women still exist today. According to the website of the International Federation, quote, Dr. Lena Madison Phillips was a feminist of the early 20th century who realized that women would never achieve equality with men unless such equality was established on economic grounds. Her writings, articles, pamphlets, and speeches delivered to both men's organizations as to women's organizations demanded many rights that women should achieve way ahead of her time." Unquote. Phillips traveled widely for both organizations, and she died in 1955 in Marseille, France, while en route to a conference in Beirut, Lebanon. You can read more about her in the book, A Measure Filled, The Life of Lena Madison Phillips by Lisa Sergio. It's available for in-library use in our special collections area, or as an ebook through hoopladigital.com. Number six, follow the drive as it curves to the right for approximately 40 yards until you see Henry Bascom Alverson's small anvil-shaped grave. It's one row back from the drive. Henry Bascombe Alverson lived from 1819 to 1903. His obituary from the September 4, 1903 issue of the Jessamine Journal reads as follows. H.B. Alverson died at his home one mile south of Hanley, Thursday morning, August 27, aged 87. The deceased was a native of Garrett County. At the age of 16, he went to work at the blacksmith and wagon-making trade under George Hackley, serving seven years' apprenticeship. In 1853, Mr. Alverson was married to Emily Harris and located at Sulphur Well, where he remained until 1872, when he bought a home near Hanley, where he resided until his death. The funeral took place Friday morning at 10 o'clock, Reverend W.F. Taylor conducting the services, after which the remains were brought to Nicholasville and interred in Maple Grove Cemetery. Mr. Alverson's gravestone is notably shaped like an anvil in reference to his profession. Number seven, continue to follow Cemetery Drive for about eight yards. On the left side of the drive, you will see the grave of Judith Rice Nave. Judith Rice Nave lived from February 24, 1842, to August 13, 1877. Her grave has a depiction of a hand that could be interpreted as laying a flower on the resting site, plucking a flower, 
or merely holding a flower. A hand plucking the flower suggests that the hand of God is bringing the soul home to heaven. A hand laying flowers could represent loved ones leaving eternal remembrance. Hands are common symbols for the act of leaving, but can represent a variety of more specific things depending on their position. Hands holding a chain symbolize the death of a family member. Hands holding an open book symbolize the embodiment of faith. Holding a heart might indicate membership in the independent order of odd fellows. A hand pointing upward symbolizes the reward of ascension to heaven. A hand pointing downward indicates sudden death or mortality. Hands clasping are often a symbol of a close bond of marriage, especially if the appearance of the sleeves or cuffs appear gender-specific. We will see other examples of hand symbolism on the tour. Number eight. Continue along the curve of Cemetery Drive for about 25 yards. On the right side, near the end of the curve, you will see a slim white monument dedicated to Cupid Walker. It is next to a sign marking section C of the cemetery. Cupid Walker, 1780 to 1850. Unfortunately, like many old cemeteries in the South, Maple Grove was intended for whites only. The cemetery does contain one monument dedicated to an African American, however. Cupid Walker was born about 1780 and died in July of 1850 during a cholera epidemic. He served for about 30 years as the sexton for the Presbyterian Church in Nicholasville. As part of his church duties, he buried many of the cholera victims. Cupid died of the same disease. His monument reads, quote, erected by the citizens of Jessamine County in memory of Cupid, of color, an honest man, unquote. According to his obituary, Mr. Walker was a child and a slave when the Walker family brought him to Jessamine County from Virginia. Miss Courtney Walker freed Cupid, and he is listed on the 1840 Nicholasville census as a freed person of color. Walker's obituary called him, quote, the noblest work of God, an honest man, unquote. He earned the nickname Honest Cupid for always keeping his accounts with merchants balanced. The obituary went on to praise, quote, his strict integrity, sobriety, and otherwise moral character, unquote. Number nine, continue along Cemetery Drive to the plot of white Confederate headstones on the right. Confederate Graves. To the right of Cupid Walker's monument, you'll find the Confederate plot. Some of these soldiers died in the care of Dr. Charles Mann, a surgeon in the Confederate Army who moved approximately 80 sick and injured soldiers from Camp Dick Robinson to Nicholasville. After the war, other Confederate soldiers were moved to Maple Grove from their previous resting places 
including from Camp Nelson. Howard Teeter's book, Maple Grove Cemetery Records, lists all the Confederate soldiers buried at Maple Grove. Number 10. Just past the Confederate graves and on the right side of the drive, you will see a large statue of a woman. The name Moreau Brown is carved on the front, while Sally Price is carved on the side. Next, we'll stop at the grave of Sally E. Price, who lived from February 6, 1826 to June 5, 1898. A beautiful statue of a woman marks the graves of Sally E. Price, Moreau Brown, Sally Brown, and Elizabeth Brown. It is an allegorical statue representing hope, one of the seven virtues, as a woman in a Roman-style gown holding a chain attached to an anchor. The anchor most likely represents the anchored cross, meaning hope, and is the primary symbol of the statue. The cross and anchor connection is found in Hebrews 6.19, which states, Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Numbers 11, 12, and 13. The graves of Victor Moreau Brown, Anne Hemphill Brown, and George Brown are just behind the monument to Sally Price. Victor Moreau Brown and Anne Hemphill Brown's graves are currently covered with ivy. George Brown's grave is to the left. Victor Moreau Brown lived from August 5, 1844 to October 14, 1867. The three-link chain seen on the grave of Victor Moreau Brown is the main symbol of the Independent Order of Odd Fellows and indicates that the deceased belonged to this fraternal organization. Often the letters F, L, and T will appear in the center of each link. The three links with the letters represent friendship, love, and truth. In general, chains symbolize truth. Medieval thinkers sometimes held that a golden chain bound the soul to the body. Broken links on a headstone can mean the severance and subsequent release of the spirit from the body. Ann M. Amphill Brown June 9, 1826 to March 29, 1888. The beautiful statue of a woman wearing a shawl and holding flowers in one hand and a wreath in the other stands on the grave of Ann M. Hemphill Brown, who is known throughout Jessamine County as a model neighbor, friend, and housekeeper. Maidens holding wreaths and flowers were a common Victorian funeral motif. The statue is engraved with the inscription, A kind and true wife, a dear and fond mother, and a faithful friend. We cherish her memory. It is likely that the statue represents an idealized wife and mother, or Mary. Wreaths have symbolized victory since the time of the ancient Greeks and Romans. When Christians adopted the wreath symbol, they asserted that it was a victory of redemption. George Brown, February 28, 1819 to October 30, 1897. George Brown was born in Nicholasville, 
on February 28, 1819. He attended school at St. Joseph's in Bardstown, Kentucky, then attended Center College in Danville, Kentucky, and Transylvania University in Lexington. After finishing college, he began a business of manufacturing hemp. Early in life, George was able to acquire a lot of practical knowledge of the hemp industry because his father had been a pioneer in the manu manufacturing of hemp in Lexington. George Brown's hemp business operated for many years and proved to be quite profitable because of the use of slaves. In 1843, he married Anne M. Hemphill, who proved to be an affectionate, faithful, and helpful wife. In the fall of 1853, George Brown moved to a farm on Jessamine Creek situated two miles from the city of Nicholasville and continued his manufacturing hemp. Mr. Brown was a man of intense activity with domestic tastes. He left his home and was a model husband and father. At the age of 22, he joined the Nicholasville Presbyterian Church, a faith in which he continued to practice until the end of his life. He came to the faith when he was converted under the teachings of Reverend David Todd. He was an efficient and earnest in his Christian duties and was always considered to be a liberal and helpful member of the congregation. A good and pure man, he was a long-serving and active president of the Jessamine County Bible Society. George Brown left behind no enemies and a host of friends when he passed away on October 30th, 1897. Number 14. Cross Cemetery Drive and walk diagonally to your right about 22 yards. The grave of Colonel Thomas J. Brown is a ledger marker, a flat rectangular headstone that covers the entire grave. Mary J. Brown's grave is to the right. Colonel Thomas Jefferson Brown, Sr., 1803 to May 27, 1849, and Mary J. Brown, November 6, 1809, to May 21, 1889. Colonel Thomas Jefferson Brown was born in 1803 to Joshua Brown, a Revolutionary War soldier, and Margaret Mansell. He was a graduate at Transylvania University. Colonel Brown took control of his father's hotel, the Central Hotel, in 1836. He is a man of impressive stature and appearance as a prominent figure in county affairs. He also studied medicine but never practiced it. He was married to Mary Jane Wallace and they had nine children. He and his wife were known to be very kind and generous. Colonel Brown recognized the necessity for a public cemetery in Nicholasville and was instrumental in laying off Maple Grove Cemetery. He was the first person to be buried here. Mary Jane Brown was born in 1809 to Captain John Wallace and Jane Finley. Her father was born in Ireland in 1748. He served under George Washington during the Revolutionary War. Her family had a tannery in Jessamine County for 40 years. Growing up, she was noted to be quite an intelligent woman and as patriotic as her father. Mary Jane Wallace Brown lived 81 years and was known for her Christian virtues and for always having a kind word for everybody. Eight of her nine children are buried here in Maple Grove Cemetery. Only three lived on after her. Number 15, now cross back over Cemetery Drive and walk about 17 yards on a right diagonal to the grave of Mildred Hemphill. 
Look for an arch-shaped headstone with a wreath of roses engraved on it. Mildred Hemphill lived from 1804 to March 13, 1860. A lovely wreath of roses adorns the top of Mildred's gravestone. Roses represent love, beauty, hope, and are often associated with the Virgin Mary, who is also known as the Rose Without Thorns. Wreaths, as mentioned before, were common sites on many graves of the mid-1800s. Number 16. Continue along Cemetery Drive for about 40 yards. On the left-hand side of the drive, you will see three graves in a line belonging to Elizabeth Hightower, Sarah E. Walker, and Frances Downing. Next, we will visit the graves of three women who were buried side by side. Elizabeth Hightower, who lived from September 11, 1812 to December 21, 1886. Sarah E. Walker, who lived from April 22, 1882 to September 5, 1934. And finally, Frances Downing, who lived from May 30, 1802 to April 20, 1882. An acorn and oak leaves mark the tops of all three women's graves. Each of these associated graves are also marked with the inscription, Our Mother. The mighty oak tree symbolizes many qualities, including hospitality, stability, strength, honor, eternity, endurance, and liberty. The acorn can symbolize potential as well as eternity in that it is a seed that continues a lineage. Both the acorn and the oak have been popular symbols since the time of the Druids. The oak tree was the tree of life in pre-Christian times. Jesus' cross was said to be made of oak as well. Although acorns and oak leaves are more often pictured on male graves, clearly these families felt their mothers were the strength of the family. Number 17. Continue along this side of Cemetery Drive for approximately 40 yards you will see the tree stump shaped headstones of the Scroggin family. John and Mary Scroggin's headstone has two tall tree stumps rising out of it. John Allen Scroggin was born on May 18, 1818 and lived until September of 1895. His wife, Mary West Scroggin, is buried next to him. Her date of birth is unknown, but she lived to September of 1894. The tree stump graves of the entire Scroggin family are some of the most unique gravestones in Maple Grove Cemetery. From the 1880s through the 1920s, the style of funerary art moved away from grand symbols like obelisks and arches towards more natural living icons like trees and birds. Thousands of people across the country opted for tree stump shaped stones recalling the tree of life or knowledge. In 1890, a group called the Woodmen of the World formed, serving as a short, sort of makeshift life insurance company that provided some financial help for people when their spouses died. The organization placed value on hard work and providing for the family. 
One of the early perks of being a member of Woodman of the World was receiving a free tombstone in the shape of a stump. While we don't know for sure that the Scroggin family were members of the Woodman of the World, clearly their choice and imagery reflects their appreciation of nature and the rugged endurance represented by trees. Number 18. On the opposite side of the road from the Scroggin family, walk diagonally to your right for about 33 yards. Dr. John C. Welch's barely legible headstone is against the fence. He is buried between Henry and Ella Welch. Dr. John C. Welch 1823 to 1887. Along with Samuel Leffingwell, Dr. John C. Welch edited the Nicholasville Democrat from 1857 to 1860. According to Bennett H. Young, this newspaper, quote, was strongly anti-slavery and the office was raided and the type pied or jumbled together and dumped in the streets, unquote. Welch later served four years as a surgeon in the 20th Kentucky Infantry, a volunteer regiment of the Union Army. After the Civil War, Welch represented Jessamine County in the Kentucky House of Representatives in 1871 and from 1878 to 1880. He practiced medicine in Jessamine County for 40 years. Number 19. Face Richmond Avenue, 169, and walk to your left. Cross the drive. On Henry Metcalf's grave, you'll see the letter G in the center of a square and set of compasses. The grave of Henry Metcalf is the next stop on our tour. He lived from November 9, 1800, to January 18, 1879. The square and set of compasses with the letter G in the center found on Henry Metcalf's grave indicate that he was a member of the Freemasons organization, a fraternal order that since the late 14th century has regulated the qualifications of stonemasons. The square and compass are tools of the trade, which are also used in Masonic traditions to teach symbolic lessons. The letter G could stand for God, but has also thought, been thought to stand for geometry or great architect of the universe. Other Masonic symbols that are found on gravestones include the all-seeing eye of God, the wavy sword, three chains, and pillars representing the Temple of Solomon. Number 20. We will now make our way back through the cemetery. Facing away from Richmond Avenue and toward the way you came, turn right on Cemetery Drive and keep going to your right as the drive begins to curve again. From the middle of the curve, walk about eight yards until you see a large rectangular headstone with sears engraved on it. William Alva Sears, 1840-1919 in 1840, William Alva Sears was born in, in Buffalo, New York. 
During his early childhood, he moved with his parents to Newark, New Jersey. At the age of 20, he enlisted in the Federal Army in the 26th Infantry, serving until the end of the Civil War. He came to Kentucky in 1865, serving as a chief clerk in the Quartermaster's Department at Camp Nelson. Also in 1865, he married Miranda Payne Harris, and they had two children, Maggie Sears, who died in early childhood, and Fred L. Sears. At the end of the war, he joined his father-in-law, Thomas Harris, in managing a general merchandise store. He later accepted a position as a clerk at the Bank of Nolan and Wilmore, later becoming a partner with Nolan, Wilmore, and Company, which eventually became Nolan, Wilmore, and Sears. Several years later, he and his son bought out the interests of the other partners, renaming the business W.A. Sears and Company. The bank was incorporated as a Citizens Bank Adjustment with Mr. Sears acting as the president. He served 20 years as a treasurer of the Board of Education of Kentucky Wesleyan College, then located in Winchester, Kentucky. He served as superintendent of the Sunday School, was a member for years of the Board of Stewards and Trustees, and served 40 years as a treasurer of the Methodist Episcopal Church. William Sears was described as a man of strong character, firm in decision, yet debating no more than he gave to his fellow men. Number 21. Now get back on the drive and continue as if you are going back to Henry Metcalf's grave. Instead of going all the way back, take the first right on the drive and walk for about 57 yards. D.P. Watson's headstone is on the left side of the drive, just in front of Martin and Debbie Lay's monument. It has two circles carved on it. Inside the top circle, you'll find an engraved weeping willow. D.P. Watson lived from sometime in 1804 to December 3, 1866. All manner of trees can be found depicted on gravestones. In general, a tree might symbolize the all-covering love of Christ, or the tree of life, or life everlasting. Specific trees carry added meaning. For example, the weeping willow carved on the stone of D.P. Watson represents nature's lament, sorrow, and mourning. Number 22. Sue Castle Rowland's headstone is just beyond the Ley Monument. It has a triangular-shaped top and is carved with lilies of the valley and clasping hands. Sue Cassell Rowland lived from February 14, 1837 to December 22, 1881. Her stone has nice examples of lilies of the valley, which symbolize the return of happiness, purity, and humility to the deceased. It also has a carving of two hands clasping, most likely representing the bond of marriage, wherein the hand on top signifies the partner who has died first and will guide the other to heaven. Number 23. Turn back to the driveway behind you and walk about 35 yards, crossing the drive. Eliza Hughes's headstone is topped with a cross inside a crown and is just off the drive. 
Now we come to the grave of Eliza Garrison Hughes, who lived from January 18, 1855 to August 23, 1897. The cross inside a crown atop this grave is said to symbolize the reward in heaven coming after the trials in this life. This is a wildly popular Roman Catholic symbol. When paired with other images and sayings, it may indicate that the person was also a Freemason. Number 24. Ray Miller's grave is immediately to your left. It's a large rectangular headstone with an anchor engraved on it. Ray Miller was born in 1896 and died in 1918. Symbols of membership in one of the armed forces are common sites on gravestones. Ray Miller was a member of the U.S. Navy who may have died serving in World War I. While the anchor on his gravestone is almost certainly associated with his service in the Navy, anchors are also seen on civilian gravestones symbolizing the steadfastness of Christ. Number 25. As you face Ray Miller's grave, look to your left. In the distance, you will see three trees. The large statue of an angel carrying a book is B.S. Duncan's monument. It is one of the largest in the cemetery. B.S. Duncan, February 13, 1829 to July 16, 1891. Benjamin S. Duncan was born in 1829 in Jessamine County and died in 1894 at the age of 65. In 1856, he married Lucy Ann Funk, and they had three children, Alan B. Duncan, J. Will Duncan, and Miss David Bell. Duncan was a farmer and a member and chairman of the board of the Methodist Episcopal Church South. At his funeral, the Reverend General H. Means said, as a man, Mr. Duncan was quite in his disposition, unpretentious in his demeanor, firm in his convictions, and yet withal kind, lovable, and loving. His gravestone is one of the most impressive in Maple Grove Cemetery. Towering well above most, its multi-leveled base with iconic columns is topped with a stately angel carrying a book. There are many styles of angels that appear throughout any cemetery, Depending on how they are posed, what they are carrying, whose graves they adorn, their meaning changes. On children's graves, angels are usually cherubic, gently guiding innocent souls to the kingdom of heaven. An angel with a trumpet might be Gabriel, blowing the call to the resurrection and heralding judgment day. The angel Michael is depicted with a sword of justice. Angels with wings outstretched symbolize the ascension to heaven, while weeping angels symbolize internal grief. The angel on Benjamin Duncan's grave is unique. She holds a book in one hand and what might be a quill in the other, although it is difficult to tell. Most likely the book is a book of life where she is about to write Mr. Duncan's name. Number 26. Continue up the driveway and pass the magnolia tree on the right for about 75 yards. The next stop on our tour, the Moynihan Family Mausoleum, 
is the only mausoleum in the cemetery. E. Purcell Moynihan, 1900 to 1986. Edgar Purcell, or E. P. Moynihan, is buried in the only mausoleum in Maple Grove. Moynihan was born in Jessamine County to parents Eugene and Bridget Hayes Moynihan. He graduated from the University of Kentucky College of Engineering and served as CEO of Breslin Construction of Louisville and as president of the Kentucky Association of Highway Contractors. He was also a dairy and cattle farmer. His wife, Abra Lowry Moynihan, who died in 1977, is also buried in the mausoleum. They had four daughters, Mrs. Mary M. Hash, Mrs. Margaret Southard, Mrs. William Flutie, and Miss Anne Moynihan. One of their nine grandchildren, Margaret Lee Meg Hash, is also buried in the mausoleum and died in 2005. Mausoleums are above-ground, freestanding structures that have separate compartments inside for holding human remains. Often entire families are housed in the same mausoleum, which saves space while keeping everyone together. The name mausoleum comes from King Mausolus, whose grieving wife had an enormous building erected to house his remains when he died around 350 BC. It was thought to be one of the first of its kind, and thus all similar structures thereafter were named for him. Number 27. We'll now turn back towards Main Street. Follow Cemetery Drive for about 58 yards. Maria Tapp Arnold's grave is to the right. It's just across from Linda Dickerson's grave, which we visited on our way in. Maria Tapp Arnold lived from November 22, 1806 to March 29, 1883. Her stone has a carved image of gathered wheat, which signifies resurrection and the divine harvest. Wheat sheaves being gathered for a new life usually appear on the gravestones of those who have lived to a good old age. Number 28. From Maria Arnold's grave, look to your left. About 17 yards away, you will see a monument with two children carved on it. The statue marks the graves of Marion Margaret Porter and Lemuel Russell Porter. Marion Margaret Porter, 1889-1894, and Lemuel Russell Porter, 1891-1894. Marion, age 5, and Lemuel, age 3, were the only children of Walter and Bessie Porter. During a visit to their aunt's residence, they came down with sore throats. Marion and Lemuel's condition worsened, and they became unable to eat or drink. The condition of the two children grew so alarming that Dr. Joseph Barrow was dispatched from Lexington. He performed a tracheotomy on Marion that proved unsuccessful, and it was thought to be futile to perform surgery on Lemuel. On August 1st, they both passed away from diphtheria within hours of each other at their aunt's home. 
A funeral for them was held on August 2nd here at Maple Grove Cemetery. The statue before you was created in their likeness. Number 29. Keep walking straight on the drive toward Main Street for about 50 yards. Elizabeth Logan Hoover's headstone is on the first row to the right and has a dove in flight on top. Elizabeth Logan Hoover was born on March 18, 1890, and died at only eight years old on April 24, 1898. A dove in flight holding a stick adorns the top of her grave. Doves, lambs, and cherubs are the most common iconography to appear on the graves of children and infants as they all represent innocence and peace. Doves are important symbols in both Jewish and Christian traditions. In the well-known story of Noah's Ark, the dove returns with an olive branch, representing hope for the beginning of a new life. Doves are mentioned in the story of the baptism of Christ as a symbol for the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit coming down from heaven. An ascending dove, like the one on Elizabeth's grave, represents the soul of the departed being transported to heaven, while the twig signifies that the soul has reached peace. A descending dove represents the Spirit of God coming down to escort the soul to heaven. If the dove is lying dead, it means the person's life was cut short. Number 30. Continue to walk toward Main Street for about 50 yards until you find the scroll-shaped headstones of Mary and M. H. McTire. They are on the right side of the drive. Mary McTire, who lived from 1844 to 1926, and M. H. McTire, who lived from 1838 to 1910, are buried next to one another as husband and wife. The stones of both McTires are shaped like scrolls rolled at either end. Scrolls represent a life unfolding with both the past and future hidden in the rolled portions. Scrolls can also be symbols of scriptures. Many gravestones of the 19th century are carved as scrolls, possibly because they are just a more attractive way to display information about the deceased. Sometimes the scroll will be ripped, showing how death can tear life apart for those left behind. Number 31. Continue walking on the drive toward Main Street. On the right side of the drive, you will see the last stop on our tour a rose granite arch in front of a large oak tree. These are the graves of William Gustav Wolf, Neva Porter Welch Wolf, and Sarah Catherine Wolf. The final stop on our tour is at the graves of William Gustav Wolf, who lived from March 13, 1880 to August 7, 1944, and his wife, Neva Porter Welch Wolf, who lived from April 5, 1891 to May 1, 1955. The graves of the Wolf family are marked by a rounded arch over an urn. The urn is a Greek symbol of the body as a container for the soul, originating as a repository for the ashes of cremation. Arches are a symbol of a gateway and crossing over into the next life. They might also indicate victory in life or death, 
as the triumphal arches of ancient Greek and Rome did. Finally, an arch can indicate a rejoining with a partner or God in afterlife. This concludes the Jessamine County Public Library's Maple Grove audio tour. Thank you for listening. For a list of our sources, visit our website at jesspublib.org slash maple hyphen grove. Our theme music is by Scott Whitten. You can find out more about Scott on his website, adoreforadesk.com.